0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I'd like to begin this morning by um, giving honor where honor is due. I haven't stood behind this pulpit in... Four weeks, I took some leave, I took some time off, and I want to give thanks to Pastor andreas to Stephen to Pastor Frank who 's not here with us this morning, for standing in and not just standing in but moving us forward, moving us on the words that have been given have been particularly significant, um, especially. I'd like to say the last two weeks, Pastor Frank ministered the first Sunday of 2023 on consecration and shining through total consecration was the message that he ministered. And if you are not here, I strongly encourage you to download and get that teaching. Because it really does set the tone for much of what I want to share with you today, much of what I believe the Lord wants to do in us and with us and through us in the season that we're in. Pastor Andreas last week spoke to us about the most honorable pursuit. Who can remember what the three attributes are that we ought to all be pursuing with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Very good. Well, we were listening, Pastor <laughs> I want to say both of these messages speak into a similar theme. And it's a theme that I want to continue with today. And that is the wholehearted pursuit of God's heart. Isn't that incredible when we consider what Pastor Andreas has just shared with us, how he led us in prayer concerning what the Lord said to him this morning, of how much we forfeit and how much we sacrifice or we we, we don't enjoy because we just don't understand how precious and important it is to spend time in God's presence. As I was meditating on the word I wanted to share with you today, as we're talking about the wholehearted pursuit of God's heart, is God said to me, wisdom, many people want to know what is wisdom, how do we get it, how do we pursue it, how do we walk in it? And I've heard different definitions of wisdom, Um, For me, God just said something really simple this morning. He said, Michael, wisdom is simple. It's being fully devoted to living life God's way. That's wisdom. All the other definitions of wisdom are variations of this one simple fact. Wisdom for life is simply to seek to live life God's way. And let His will for your life be found and established and walked in and expressed For in His will and His way there is blessing, there is life forevermore. I'm not going to depart from this theme today because I believe that this is the undercurrent for what God God desires to do in us and through us in this season. A wholehearted consecration to God, a wholehearted pursuit of His wisdom, of His knowledge, of the knowledge and understanding of God. The, The idea of wholeheartedness is the one that really is gripping me in this time and season. I realize that majority of us sitting here have walked and journeyed together with God and with each other for a long period of time, many years, most of us. And that means we have an experience of God and we have an experience together of what the expression of our faith is like and what it looks like and what it feels like. But I want to say to you today, the impression that I have on my heart is this is a measure but there is so much more. There is a far greater experience of God's presence that He desires to bring us into, and a far, far greater works that you and I could do to the glory of His kingdom. Our key scripture remains and carries over from last year. I know we celebrate calendar years, and that's good. It's nice. It helps us to, to set our hearts and minds and achieve goals and things. But I believe the word the Lord is still breathing over our fellowship is Isaiah chapter 60, verses one Through three, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Thank you, Eskom. And deep darkness the people, especially of South Africa. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Can you say that? The Lord's glory will be seen upon me. It will be clearly evident. In other words, there is, a, there is an awakening to God's presence, to His love, to His mercy, that when you and I have that awakening, a realization, an impartation, an experience, the people around us will begin to see a difference. It will be His glory which resonates. and. And, and people shall see it, and as a result, verse 3, they shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Is the, in essence, what this scripture is saying to you and to me is, live out what you believe in such a way that others can see. That's the essence of it. That's the essence of so much of Paul's writing to the church, is this belief that we have, this wonderful faith that we have in Jesus Christ, when it is lived out and applied and expressed, it becomes irresistible. It is so different to this world. You will either, it will either draw people to God, or it will draw persecution to you. One or the other. People will either love it and be drawn to it. They will find and see the need for it in their own hearts and lives, or they will utterly resist you, and sometimes vehemently. But in essence, our faith in Christ must have, if it is a real faith, if it is a living faith, and a vibrant faith, corresponding fruit, both in our lives and through our lives. The evidence of my faith is that I learn to walk in peace in the midst of tumultuous times. The evidence in my faith, faith of my faith is that I learn how to walk in forgiveness and release, and in love and in kindness, even to those who are cruel and don't deserve it. That I am able to overcome my sin, and walk in purity, that I am able to be a generous person, that I am able to share the love of Christ with others. The primary goal, folks, of the Christian life is simply to become more like Jesus. And I want to say to you today, this is a process. It is a process. Can you say process? process. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. This is the essence of my message. The wholehearted devotion to God is a decision that you and I make to pursue Him with all our hearts. But that pursuit and that coming, becoming like Jesus, is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. There are moments, it seems, where God breathes on us, and it's almost like a like a like a nitrous booster in, in the engine of a vehicle. It sort of pushes us along with a huge thrust and we move forward in our in our spiritual growth and development. But there are other times where it's it's chugging along like a tractor, plowing a field week by week, day by day, hour by hour. But my question to you today, and I'm hoping that you've got a notebook. And that, you, or if you don't have a notebook, I encourage you, take out your device, send yourself an email, make some notes, because I'm actually going to be asking a lot of questions. And all the questions I ask really all come down to the same thing. So in reality, I'm asking you, going to be asking you the same question over and over and over this morning. And the purpose of asking the question over and over is that I want you to think. I believe God is wanting us to think, to stop, to evaluate, to ask ourselves a question. Or some questions this morning. And so as I'm asking these questions, I want you to write them down. So that as you go into this week, I want you to look at them and think them through and ask yourselves these questions. Because these questions need to be prayerfully thought through. The first one is this. If we're talking about the, 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 the spiritual growth and development of our faith and becoming more like Christ, here's question number one. Where are you in the process? Where am I? in the process of my spiritual growth and development? Where am I in my becoming more like Christ? That's a difficult question to answer, but it certainly produces a way of thinking because we we, we have to evaluate and say, I realize that in this part of my life, I've got a long way to go. My thinking here is way short. But I realize that in this part of my life, I have seen growth and I'm grateful. And we give God praise for that. So number one, where am I in the process? Number two, what is the next step that you need to take in your own spiritual development? What is the next step that you need to take in your own spiritual development? You see, what these questions do is they help us, number one, evaluate where we are. But number two, they help us to take ownership of our journey of spiritual growth. You see, the responsibility of your spiritual growth is not up to Jesus. It's not up to your pastor. It's up to to you. It's not up to your spouse. They may help you, and your pastor will help you. And your friends, if they love you, they will help you, and they'll encourage you on this journey. But there's a measure of ownership that sometimes we lose sight of because we get stuck in the run of the mill. We're about to get into this year, and we have been no doubt planning your schedules, extramural activities, if you have kids, what is your calendar going to look like? When are we maybe gonna take holidays? What are, there are many things in this time of the year where we are thinking and we're planning to say, where where, where am I gonna grow? What do I wanna see in my work development? What do I wanna see in my family and my friendships? The question I'm asking you to ask yourself this year is, what do you wanna see in terms of your spiritual growth this year? Where are you and what is that next step? And don't compare yourself to anybody else my next step is going to be different from your next step but until i define my next step i will simply be a spectator in the process of my spiritual development somehow leaving it up to god or the powers that be to cause it to happen and the truth is god will but the way he does that very often is he does so by exposing our weaknesses so that we can see them and be forced to deal with them yet when we are proactive and we say lord i understand this is a process what is the next step for me to develop myself spiritually? Then I begin to be a partaker in the process. During the conference I went to last year, there was a pastor by the name of Marius Gradwell. He's a South African gentleman. I think he ministers out of East London. He is uh, within our sphere of Church of the Nations. And the theme of the conference was church planting, And Marius took one of the sessions because he had planted many churches within various communities throughout our country. He'd been that's been really a gift that God has has used him mightily in that regard. And he was talking about when you just some of the practicalities of sending out sons, planting them in a field, in an environment of people, and once people begin to gather the first thing that needs to be done is elders need to be appointed to oversee the flock and to govern this new life and this new church, this new body of believers that are coming together. And as he was sharing various things, at the end of his session, there was a question and answer time. And in the question and answer time, a gentleman raised his hand and he said, you've mentioned things about establishing order and setting in place elders to govern the the new work. When do you appoint a pastor? And the answer that Pastor Marius gave really impacted me, and I hope it will impact you today as well. He said that's a very good question. He said, we make it a point not to appoint a pastor until every single person in that church, in that life group, in that congregation, in that setting, knows and deeply understands that they are all called to be ministers of the gospel, ministers and workers in the gospel and that they need a pastor to equip them for the work of ministry. Then together, they will appoint a pastor that they recognize, who will be able to work with them, teach them, train them, and raise them up to be workers within the ministry. He says, if we do not have that very basic ground-level understanding, what ends up happening is, people appoint a pastor... Who spends uh, with the expectation that he is there simply to meet their needs. And you end up eventually with a, a country club setting where we come once a week and we get encouraged, and we'll, we'll support the pastor, we'll encourage him, but it's his job to do the work, and his work is to minister to us, which is the complete wrong idea of what the Bible teaches. That really, really struck me. And it made me question, where are we as a spiritual family? What is the ethos that we have truly embraced? And how is that expressed? It's one of the reasons we started our Love at Work workshops last year. That we can remind ourselves that every time we come together, and every time we go apart from one another, that we are servants of the Lord, and it is a delight and a privilege to serve God's people in the world around us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says that he himself, being Christ, gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That means that the role of the pastor is not just to encourage the people, but my job, is to help equip you for the work to which God has called you. Amen? That means you need to be well aware of what it is that God has called you to do. You see, the effectiveness of being equipped depends on the calling. Imagine rocking up at a university and saying, Hey, I'm here to enroll. What course would you like to enroll in? I don't know. Just any course, you know, what do you want to do? Oh, I have no idea what I want to do. It's, it, it's, it, it makes absolutely no sense. A, play, a university is a place of equipping. A, a, a college is a place of equipping, and you go and you enroll for the purpose of to be equipped for a specific task. I want to say to you, spiritually, you and I each have a specific gifting and a mandate from God That he desires for you and I to live out and work out in our lives. Works of ministry simply means works of service. And your gift set and your personality will already be strong clues to you as to which direction the Lord would have you exercise your gifts to be an encouragement to the body around, the body of Christ around us. Every one of us are here so that we can be equipped for works of service. You see, there is purpose beyond just our own personal edification. When we come together on a Sunday, when we gather in a Bible school meeting, when there's a midweek meeting, when there's a Sunday morning prayer meeting, there's purpose beyond just our own edification. We realize that there is a grand purpose, a grander mission. I spoke to Siobhan this week. I said to him, we need to get our vision and mission back up on those walls pronto. Our mission, to extend and establish the influence of God's kingdom in our city and beyond. Our vision, how do we do that? By equipping the saints for works of ministry. When you discover your gifting and you begin working that out, you become a blessing wherever it is God sows you. So where are you, my dear brother and my dear sister, in that process? Are you cognizant of it? Are you aware of that? Is that something that is in the forefront of your mind, giving you purpose and vision and direction every day? Or is that something that is in the background, that I give attention to maybe on a Sunday morning. It's not necessarily my guiding force. I'm, I want you to bring that front and center. So here's, my, here's a verse that, that Pastor Frank read a couple of weeks ago. And I'd read it before, but boy, did it jump out at me when he said it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, speaking about Jesus, this was prophesied of him, and they're putting these words in his mouth, in a sense. Hebrews ten seven says, Then I said, Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And here's my question to you. What is written of you in the scroll of God's book pertaining to your life? What is written about you? Do you know the words that God has written? Jesus said, I have come to be the living expression and manifestation of your word concerning me. That's why John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the fulfillment of God's heart and plan from the very beginning. You, my dear brother and sister, are the fulfillment, or carry the potential of being the fulfillment of a plan and a dream that God had long before you were even born. You are the dream of God. You are a poem of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Sorry. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, "We are his workmanship." We are his poem. Folks, a poem is an emotive piece of writing. When God looks at you and when he planned your life, he did so with deep yearnings and longings and cravings and desires that through you wonderful things would be birthed. Through your creativity and through your gifts. Ephesians 2:10, "We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is a book on your life, and you need to get reading (laughs) and know what it says. Listen to the way the Amplified Bible puts this verse. We are His workmanship, His own masterwork of art. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used. For good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, and listen to this, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. That is an exciting prospect. That ought to fill you with a sense of wonder and adventure and with a desire to say, God, would you give me a glimpse of that book? Maybe God will show you four chapters time and say, right, that's where you're going. Now we've got to get you there. Maybe God, listen, God works in different ways with different people. Sometimes God will say to you, Karen, that's what I have in mind for you. In 10 years time, that's where I want you to be. And in so doing, he will set in process, uh, set in motion a process of growth, development, and equipping that you may prepare yourself for the ultimate vision. In my experience, that is actually the way God moves very often. He gives us a picture of that which lies ahead. That's the gift and the wonder of prophecy. In other situations, as was my case many years ago, somebody asked me, where do you see yourself? Where are you going? What's the plan? And I agonized in prayer for months before the Lord on that very question, not knowing what the end was, not knowing where this was going, just God's called me to serve this man. Where he goes, I go. I don't know where we're going. I just, where he goes, I go. And I remember God saying to to me one day, Michael, I'm not going to show you where this is going. Probably knew I'd bail out. I'm not going to show you where this is going. All I want you to know is that you're doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. That's all I want from you. Just carry on being faithful where I've placed you. And for me, that moment was enough. It settled that question. But then, what that meant was, I was aware of the season I was in, what God was calling me to focus on, so that I could give myself wholeheartedly to it. Amen? It's that revelation that I'm talking to you about today. Maybe you know where you're going to have to be. Or maybe you know that you're in the right place doing the right thing. But it's that wholehearted fully giving ourselves to the process that God has in store for this season of your life. You see, you are living in a season now which is the fulfillment of your times of preparation past as well as the preparation for that which lies ahead. And maybe you're a bit like me. Maybe you know what you're meant to be doing. Maybe you know what God's called you to do. And maybe you've been doing it faithfully for some time. But my question is, To you and the question that I'm asking myself is this it is that it is this is this all it is God we've come this far and and this is what we're busy with now is this it or is there more and I think we both know what the answer to that question is with God it is always going to be more are you satisfied or maybe a better question in our deepest moments of quietness with God is, God, when you look at my life and everything you've deposited in me and the plans you have for me, are you satisfied? Or does God desire a greater measure from you and from me? You see, if you believe there's more that God has in mind for you, then this is the question I'm asking. What is the next step in your spiritual development? What is that next step? Perhaps you've yet to discover the good work that God has prepared for you. That's okay. That's not a sin. Or maybe you feel the revelation that you had for the season you've been in has run its course. And there's a new season. There's a new step. There's a new work. God's calling you into something different. That's also good. But my, my point is that let the discovery of that purpose become your journey for the next period until you know that you know that you know. So that you may give yourself wholeheartedly to the things for which Jesus gave himself wholeheartedly for you. So how do you measure the progress of your faith? Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. How do you measure the progress of your faith? I believe there's two aspects of this, and here we have two more questions, and I want you to write these questions down as well. Number one by asking, what is it that I want from God? That is actually a very revealing question. What is it that I want from God? And I want to just give you a moment to ponder on that. What is it? If I had to ask you now, and I won't, but if I had to say to you, right, Megan, what do you want from God? Lisa, what do you want from God now, in this time, in this season? Uncle Nick, what do you want from God? What are you wanting? What are you asking? If I had to ask you that question, I want you to kind of get that in the forefront of your mind. Because I believe God loves it when His children come to Him and they look to Him as a loving, generous Father. But our level of maturity is so often revealed in this very one question. Because when we are immature, the things we want from God revolve completely around us, our own comfort, our own well-being. That's why this question is such a revealer of our level of maturity and our state of heart. But if the things I'm wanting from God are beyond myself and they pertain to the lives of others, to the glory of his name and of his kingdom, God, I want souls. God, I want more of your grace and your power that I may better represent you. It demonstrates that this is not about me. Something has checked in, and I am progressing and I'm growing. The other question by which we measure our progress of our faith is by asking, what is it that God wants from me? The one is good. God, this is what I want from you. What do you want from God? Ask that question. And by the way, listen. There's nothing wrong or sinful about asking for personal things. God invites us to do that. He calls us to do that. And in a sense, those who have learned to do that and throw all their expectations upon God are those whose faith has come to a level of maturity where they know and they can depend and rely on the faithfulness of God's grace and provision. But the second question is also a telling one. In this season, If I'm evaluating where I'm going to go and I'm evaluating the development of my spiritual walk and I want to take ownership of this, the primary question is going to have to be, in this moment, God, what is it you are wanting from me? Is it more time? Is it discipline or in a particular habit here? Is it more generosity? Is it a change in attitude? Nine times out of ten, that's where it starts, by the way. What is it, Lord, in this moment that you are wanting from me? Maybe it's just that realization of again saying, God, I've lost sight and I've taken the reins of my life and right now you're just wanting me to hand over the reins. You see, there is a grace that has been released over our spiritual family in this time and season that we are in. There is a grace and God is at work in this area. And the things I'm talking to you about are not a matter of toil and struggle and strife. But they're a heart's response to a loving father that is calling out for his bride. Philippians 2.13 For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I want to break this down into three parts. Number one, have a realization that God is working in you. Not just that He wants to work in you, that even when you're oblivious of it, God is working in you. God is working. God is at work in your circumstances, in your attitudes, in the things that you're in, the challenges you are facing. God is at work. Number two, and He is giving you a desire and He is giving you His power. You see, the things I'm talking about today, they require a a measure of passion, a measure of desire. You don't pursue something you do not value, and you do not go after something you do not want. Amen? There is a desire required, and God is—this is the work He is doing. He is working in your heart to give you the desire for the things that are on His heart. And so, it's not about more effort— It's about greater yieldedness to this work that God is doing to give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Folks, all of this is so that you and I may live a life that fully pleases God. Say, pleases Him. You see, when this becomes my motivation, everything else becomes a lot simpler. My motivation is simply to please the Lord. And we need to understand what I'm saying now correctly. Because the only thing that truly pleases God is the manifestation of the life of His Son. The Bible says that your good works and my good works, they're like filthy rags in the presence of God. This is not about more effort. The works we're talking about are not doing more stuff through self-effort and natural means. We're talking about an overflow of the life of Jesus Christ within us, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Which means that you and I stand in the presence of God, and when He looks upon you and He sees the righteousness of Jesus, God is well pleased with you. Amen? So then what do they mean here when they talk about living a life that pleases God? If God is already pleased with me, What is required? Does that mean he can be displeased with me? The struggle that we have is that we do not live perpetually from this place and position of Jesus within us, the place where the the pleasure and the presence of God resides. You and I still give in to our flesh. We still yield to our self-centered ways. And when we do that, we grieve the heart of God. We do not bring pleasure to God. You see, I am well pleased with my daughters, but sometimes I am not pleased with their behavior. Sometimes I know God is pleased with me, but sometimes I know He is not pleased with my attitude. While we are positioned and empowered to live lives that please God, we often get caught up in living lives to please ourselves. And that is the antithesis of what it means to please God. I can truly I can't truly give myself to pleasing God while I'm trying to please myself at the same time. And so here we have this idea that Paul speaks in Philippians that God is working in you to give you the will and the power to live a life that pleases him. He echoes the same idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 to 10. The amplified says, "Therefore" or verse 9, sorry. "Therefore, whether we are at home on earth or away from home and with him, It is our constant ambition to be pleasing to Him. These are saints. They understand that they are saved and that God is pleased. He was pleased to save you. Dearly beloved, God was pleased to send His Son to die for you because He loves you. It is our love for Him that causes us to want to live a life and to do the works that we know bring pleasure to His heart because they manifest His nature in the world. And they are powerful. And so Paul is saying here, it is our constant ambition to be pleasing to him. Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. This this is piggybacking on what Pastor Andreas shared last week. So we have not stopped praying for you. This is Paul praying for the Colossians. Since we first heard about you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. Then... The way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. These are the good works we're talking about. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I want and I desire for myself, for each one of you, and for our spiritual family, for this year, 2023, to be a year of growth. A year of process. A year where we take another step and we take ownership of our spiritual growth and development and we don't sit by and hope something will happen if I come to church enough times, but that I'm very deliberate about knowing I need to work on this area in my heart, in my life, and my attitude and I give myself to the process of spiritual growth. As we do so, the likeness of Christ will grow in us. As that happens, the works that we do and the way we do what we do will become works of righteousness and produce an abundant fruit. And as we do so, yes, I believe also we will grow numerically because our influence will increase. Now, I want you to understand when I say growth, my primary measurement by this is not numbers. My primary measurement by this is simply your testimony. That, for example, Nicola, will know and say to me, Michael, this is what I believe God is calling me to work on and speak on this year. This is the next step in my spiritual growth and development. And that by the end of this year, by June, March, April, May, whenever it may be, she said, this is what God has done. And this is what God has done. And this is what God has shown me. And this is the habit that I'm now walking in. And this is the lifestyle change that has occurred. And this is the fruit and the blessing that is being measured back to me. And this is the impact that this is having on that person's life. Now, when that happens with one, two, three, four, five, dozens of people, the impact is multiplied through a simple pursuit of individuals, morning by morning, getting on their knees and saying, Father, today is not about me. What is it you desire from me today? How may I live? What is it that will please you this morning? Michael, that attitude that you had with your wife yesterday, it would really please me if you'd changed that and go and sort that out with her. I'm having a finger wagged at me here. That current flows both ways. Just remember that. (laughs) It may seem small. Listen to me, folks. It may seem small, but those tiny acts of obedience add up, and the interest compounds. Beloved of God, it is... This growth of our awareness of God, our yieldedness to God, of His grace finding expression in our lives that I am seeking both for yourself, for myself, and for every member of the spiritual family. And like I said, this journey is one of stages and steps. I found a really great quote that I'm I'm throwing into my sermon here, even though it comes from the football world. There is a striker whose name is uh, Gabriel Jesus? Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. That's right, Jesus plays for Arsenal. That's why we are top of the log at the moment. Gabriel Jesus, however, got injured, so he's definitely not the Jesus. And he's out. He had some surgery on his knee. And his personal trainer put out a post uh, recently, and he said this, writing on his Instagram, he said, this is uh, Andre Kuna, who is his uh, personal trainer. He said, first week... This was just after his, uh, his surgery. His rehabilitation has now begun. He said, First week, a big journey awaits. And I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, a big journey awaits. Not a small journey, a big journey. A big journey. There are big things that God has planned for the spiritual family. I want to say to you, the spiritual family has always punched well above its weight in terms of influence versus numbers. There's a big journey ahead of us. A tough, difficult, And uncomfortable? You bet it is. Transformative? You bet it will be. He says, feeding your heart with the vision of the future, living in the present, and celebrating the short-term achievements is key. This guy sounds like a preacher. All he's talking about is the physical rehabilitation of a man's knee. Finding your heart with the vision of the future, living in the present, and celebrating the short-term achievements is key. Goals set and goals achieved. And so it will be, week by week, always doing a little more. Let's go, we're getting closer, at the Yesh's official heart emoji. That was his post. I really like that. Because I think that speaks so much of where we're at. Sometimes we have maybe, maybe we've been injured emotionally. Maybe we've been injured spiritually. Maybe we've just become lazy and apathetic. Maybe we've just become fat and unfit. I'm saying to you, no matter where you are, no matter what state you're in, no matter your level of spiritual fitness, where are you now and what is the next step that you need to take? That is the question. And when you can answer that question, when you know what is written in God's book for you, what the next chapter is, what is the title of the next chapter? Michael's Journey to Spiritual Fitness. Oh, this sounds like a good chapter. I want to read it. How about you? Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship's journey to spiritual fitness and vitality. Do you know the stage you're on and what the next step has to be? Once you know what the step is, you can give yourself to developing the habits required to fulfill that step. It comes with lifestyle change, folks. You see, I can go on a diet or I can go on a fast and shed kilos. I know that I can do that. My wife always gets really upset with me because losing weight for her is a challenge. But losing weight for me is not such a challenge. You wouldn't say so. (laughs) But, uh, but But I can. The point that I want to make is this. I can give myself to a fast. I can give myself to a diet but it's lifestyle change that produces the long-term results. It's the implementation of new habits. And that's that really uncomfortable part. When you have a rehabilitation that needs to take place, I know I've broken my leg years ago, foot in a cast for eight weeks, I know what that's all like. I know the rehabilitation things, how, how that works and how long it takes. And the beginning is the most difficult. The beginning of implementation of any new step is the most difficult. And so that is why I want to encourage you, and I am calling our spiritual family to a season of fasting and prayer for this specific purpose. I am not going to be prescriptive on when you fast or how you fast or even if you fast. Folks, if this has not resonated with you, if you're comfortable and you're happy, there's nothing that I can say or do. to to get you to, to take your walk with God more seriously. But if what I have shared with you this morning has not only resonated with you, but has brought about a realization to say, I'm not where I want to be, I'm not where I could be, but I am where I am, and realize that I need to take a step. I need to take ownership of my spiritual growth, my spiritual development, my becoming more like Christ. Then this message is for you. And I want to say to you, I want to encourage you Take some time. The next 21 days, I want to set aside as a period of fasting and prayer. You fast as many days during the week as you like. If you need to take leave to fast, I encourage you to do so. But know the answers to those questions. God, what are you calling me to? And where am I in this process? What are you wanting from me? That's the question to be asking now. And if you know what you're called to be doing, but you realize you're not where you should be or could be in doing so, this is the period of consecration to set your heart and yourself aside to do that. I've noticed that my hunger for God and generally our hunger for God is proportionate to our hunger hunger for food. That's why fasting is so successful. When I'm hungry, I can channel that hunger either towards God or towards food. What fasting does says God, I'm more hungry for you than I am for any meal. And I do want to share a very short testimony in the form of a word of advice to you. Usually when I fast, I take time out. I'm privileged that I can do so. I don't even need to take leave. It's part of my job. I get to go away for two or three days, and I fast, and I'm by myself. But I realize that that's not always practical. It's not always cost-effective to do so. And so I've developed some different ways of fasting when I'm in the natural world because I find when I've got to do my job, fasting, it's it's rough because my mind is so distracted. I've come up with a few keys that I want to give you, just practical steps that I have found tremendously helpful. Number one, when it comes supper time, go for a walk. You see, that's normally our family time. That's normally where we do something together. But for those times when I'm fasting, I separate myself And in those times, I go for a walk. I get out and about, and I get out of things. Number two, if you are fasting, please make sure that you are fasting social media, that you are fasting news, that you are fasting the radio, that you are fasting all of these things that we are so, I don't know about you, but I often find my natural knee-jerk reflex is to do this. Sit down, and I do this. I look at my device. I start watching something and I do this. And I wonder what the weather is. And I do this. And as soon as I'm wondering what the weather is, I found out what the weather is. Now I'm wondering what's in my email. And now I'm wondering, man, I struggle. I've got to put that thing down. And so when I fast, I'm very disciplined to make sure that that is kept in its place so that I may be devoted and focused. I don't watch, ask my wife, I don't watch TV. I don't listen to the news. I don't do devices. And obviously I don't do food and sweets. And if I'm doing an extended fast, maybe I'll do suppers with my family. So if you want to do the 21-day fast, the way I would be doing it is this. I eat supper with my family every night because that's family time. All other meals go. And that time is given. to Prayer, the giving of my heart and my devotion to the Lord. I hope these questions have brought some things up in your hearts today. Because we're going to be journeying on, along these lines for the next few weeks. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.